0: If you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight, we're in 1 Samuel, and it's the third chapter. 1 Samuel, chapter 3, and can we give you all, as always, a very sincere word of welcome. We appreciate you coming out uh, tonight. We are delighted to see each and every one of you, and we don't say that just as a matter of form. We really do appreciate you coming out. We pray that God will encourage you, and others that are joining us online, uh, we welcome them as well. In the Saviour's name. And for those that are in holidays and half-term, and some that aren't so well too, just remember them in your prayers also. And let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we've been considering some of the great conversions that are recorded in Old Testament Scripture. And tonight we're thinking about Samuel. I think it's one of the most beautiful stories in Old Testament history. Whenever Samuel heard God's voice and responded, and his life was changed forever that night so long ago. First Samuel three, let's read from the first verse of this beloved portion of God's precious word. First Samuel chapter three and verse number one. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of God was precious or rare. The word of God was precious in those days and there was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he shall call thee. That thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also if I hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every whit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan, even on to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And we know that God will bless this wonderful portion of his precious word to each and every heart for his own sake and glory. Can I ask you again, please, to open your Bibles at First Samuel chapter 3. And we're thinking about this great night in Samuel's life and experience whenever the Lord really did minister to him, speak to his heart, and reveal himself unto Samuel. Let's pray that the Lord will write his word upon our hearts tonight. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee tonight that whenever we trust the Saviour and obey the voice of the Lord, we can experience true peace and lasting joy within our lives. He never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar you lay. For the favour He shows and the joy He bestows us for those who will trust and obey. We pray tonight, Lord, that Thou wilt impart faith into every heart and life. And may we, O God, hear thy voice and make that same response that Samuel made. Speak, for thy servant heareth. Lord, speak in this meeting house tonight. Speak through thy word, by thy spirit, into the hearts of each and every one, young or old, presently in the building or joining online or listening at some other time. We pray that the Spirit of God will apply the word Savingly and with great power and profit to hearts and lives. Grant the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hide the preacher behind the cross. I acknowledge, O oh God, that without Thee I can do absolutely nothing. And yet, Lord, I am trusting Thee for power. Thine can never feel. Words which Thou Thyself shall give, shall and must prevail. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it with thanksgiving. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, and for thine everlasting glory. Amen. I think we've always endeavored to show that God is interested in people. And our studies on some of the great conversions of the Old Testament, I trust, have highlighted that reality that God is interested in people. And God is interested, of course, in individuals and the word of god i believe makes it equally plain and clear that the god is interested in young people he's interested in the youth of his days and generations even ever the lord was on this earth in the the days of his flesh he said in matthew 19 verse 14 suffer or allow or permit the little children to come Unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. He was interested in the souls and in the lives and in the futures of children, boys and girls. And in the previous chapter, Matthew 18, the Lord goes to great lengths to show that he is concerned about the spiritual well being of children. The disciples ask the Lord a question who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And immediately Jesus called a a little child unto him and set him in the midst and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to say in verse number six, but whoso shall offend, that means cause to sin or lead astray, whoso shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the midst of the sea. So the Lord makes it clear he's interested in people, he's interested in young people and he's interested in children. And one of the most beautiful instances in Scripture of a child being converted, I believe, is the account of Samuel in First Samuel chapter 3. Samuel, as a little boy, was born into a home where there was so much privilege as well as so much potential. From his earliest days, Samuel was very familiar with the things of God. His parents prayed for him, his mother especially. Even from before he was conceived in the womb and then born into this world, he had a praying mother. And then at a young age, he began to minister, as it were, unto the Lord in the temple at Shiloh. And in an external sense, Samuel was very much acquainted with the things of God, with the offerings and the sacrifices and the, the running day to day of the house of the Lord. It was something from his earliest days, his earliest memories that he was familiar with. And yet in spite of all that, we read in First Samuel 3 and verse number 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. I wonder tonight, do you know the Lord? I wonder this evening, has the word of God, God's living word, been revealed to you? Has the word of God been revealed in you? Has there been a time in your life whenever you've been conscious of God speaking to you, calling you by name? Have you made that response and said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. It was a similar response that Saul made on the road to Damascus. When he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Both Samuel and Saul, as soon as they heard the voice of God and recognized it as God's voice, they made that response and they surrendered their lives completely into the hand of the God who was speaking. Samuel did not yet know the Lord in 1 Samuel 3 and verse number 7, but within just a few verses and within a short space of time, that very same night, Samuel would truly come to know the Lord in a saving and in a personal way. And oh, that tonight would be your night for God's salvation. If you're familiar with the things of God and you're familiar with God's house, and you're familiar with the Word of God, and you're familiar with the hymns that we sing, and you're familiar with the preaching of the gospel, it's my prayer tonight that if you've never yet responded, that you'll make that response tonight in your heart and in your life. And even before the meeting is over, that you too will have come to truly and savingly know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour. As we think tonight for a little while about the, the conversion of Samuel, I want you to consider first of all some of the details found in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to think for a few moments about the parents to which he was born, the parents to which he was born. Samuel had the great privilege of being born into a home where both his father and mother were godly individuals. Let us never underestimate that tremendous blessing. Sometimes we take our privileges for granted. I was speaking to a dear brother in the Lord during the week, and he was talking about the home that he was born into and the house that he was brought up in. And just outside his very home that he was born into, he had a beautiful view of the Mourn Mountains, Sleeve Binion, and people travel from all over this part of the world, from all across this island to visit the Mourn Mountains. And they're absolutely stunning, they're beautiful. And he said, yeah, there's a little boy, because I was so familiar with it, I didn't really understand what the big deal was until I grew up a little bit and moved away. And sometimes you don't appreciate the things that you have until they're taken away from you. And that is true in a physical level, But it is more so true on a spiritual level. Some people can be born into a Christian home and a Christian family. Mum and dad are Christians, godly people. They love the Lord. They seek the Lord. They pray for their children. They read the scriptures in the home. They bring their children to church and send them to Sunday school and give all of these wonderful privileges to them. But sometimes we become so familiar with them, we take them for granted and we don't really understand or realize how special and how beautiful these privileges are. Samuel's father was a man called Elkanah. And the name Elkanah simply means whom God possessed. And that name indicates a man in whom the Spirit of God was dwelling. He was a descendant we read in 1 Chronicles 33, a descendant of Levi, He was part of the priestly line. Not all that much is said about Elkanah. The great weight of Scripture falls upon his mother, whose name was Hannah. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 2 that Hannah had no children. She was a very godly young woman. That becomes very evident. But Hannah was barren. And sometimes in the Word of God, whenever a man or a woman didn't have children and a woman was barren, sometimes it was seen as a reproach in that individual's life. Verse number six says that her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. She had an adversary, and that adversary made her fret. And maybe tonight you're a Christian father, you're a Christian mother in the meeting, and the adversary has provoked you sore as well. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour. And maybe you've been fretting, anxious, afraid and worried, and the devil has been accusing you and reminding you maybe of your faults and feelings and shortcomings. Maybe speaking to you about about your prayer life, and maybe your prayer life is real and vibrant. But there are prayers that God has not yet answered. And maybe you've got children of your own, and they haven't yet been born again. And the adversary is causing you to fret. And the adversary is provoking you sore. Hannah was barren. But we have often said that in the Word of God, The barren wombs often gave birth to the best sons. Hannah was barren. Furthermore, Hannah was burdened. Her adversary provoked her sore. What was her response? It says in verse number 7 that as she was provoked, she wept and did not eat. Here's a woman who's barren. Here is a woman as well who is burdened. Here's a woman who has been traveling the veil of tears. Here's a woman whose heart is heavy. She's burdened because of her barrenness. And I know right well that there are parents in our nation tonight, godly men and godly women, and they're burdened for their families. They're burdened for their loved ones. They're burdened for their children. And if those children only knew the tears that are shed in the secret place, far away from witnesses, and maybe tonight you're such a parent. You've got a love in your heart for your children. Of course you have. And there's nothing you want more than for your children to know Jesus Christ and to walk with God. Oh, you're burdened this very evening. And I believe more than being burdened, Hannah was broken Verse number 10 of the first chapter says, She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Verse number 15, she says, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit and I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Here's a woman that's broken. Here's a woman in bitterness of soul. Here's a woman like a broken vessel before the Lord, and she's just poured out the contents of her heart before the God that she knows and the God that she loves. I believe that she was thinking not just about herself, not just about her own reproach, but I believe Hannah was burdened for her nation, burdened for her land that was fast departing from God. And she wanted God to raise up a prophet, somebody who would bring the Word of God to her nation and to her people. I believe she was burdened for God's glory as well as for her own need and for her own plight. And so she makes a vow in verse number 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid not just a child, but a man-child, and that indicates to me that Hannah wanted this boy to be a servant of God, a prophet. She says, I will I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. That's part of the Nazarite vow. And she's making this promise before God. If you give me a man-child, I will see that he's separated unto God all the days of his life, and he'll serve God, and he'll live a life of separation. Furthermore, not only was Hannah barren, not only was Hannah burdened, not only was Hannah broken, but Hannah believed. In verses 17 and 18, we read about Eli saying to her, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition that I ask of him. And she said, Let thine hand find grace. In thy sight, so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She was sure and certain that God had answered her prayer. She got that assurance, and the bitterness of soul dissipated. Her wounded spirit was healed. She left the house of God, rejoicing with the assurance God in heaven has heard my prayer. I can rejoice. And she was stepping out now in faith. She believed that God had heard her cry. Beloved, tonight let's trust God for a better day. Let's believe God tonight for a better day in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's put our faith in God. Let's not only pray, but let us believe that God will come with healing in our, His wings. And God will answer our prayers for our families and our loved ones and for our nation. Hannah believed, and then we read in verses 19 and 20 that Hannah was blessed. She rose up in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and she. the Lord remembered her, and it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. She was blessed. God answered her prayer. Now the question tonight might be asked, what if she hadn't prayed? What if she hadn't travailed before the throne of grace? What if she hadn't borne this burden on her soul? What if she hadn't been broken? What if she hadn't spoken to Eli? What might have happened? We don't know, but we know this, that while God is sovereign, God answers prayer. And God in His sovereignty has made us responsible. And there's some way in which God somehow weaves the prayers of His saints into His divine will. And God was glorified. But Hannah praised God was blessed. Children are in heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His Reward. As we think about Samuel, think there about verse twenty, his designation. She called his name Samuel, saying, "Because I have asked him of the Lord." The name Samuel, many of you'll know, literally means "asked of God." And this little babe, this little boy, that's going to grow up into a teenager, into a young man, into an adult. And to an old saint all the days of his life, his name bears testimony to the reality of a prayer-hearing God. And then in verses 27 and 28, you've got his dedication. She comes back to the temple in Shiloh, the tabernacle, and she says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I have asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth, He shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. This is dedication. This is consecration. Here's a woman giving the thing that she loves most in all the world. Absolutely and unreservedly into the hands of her Savior and into the hands of her God. The parents to which Samuel was born. Then as you go on a little bit further into the book of 1 Samuel, you'll consider for a few moments the period into which Samuel was born. Samuel was born at the end of the time of the judges. And it was a very dark time in the nation of Israel. And he thought the other Lord's day evening about the conversion of Ruth. And the book of Ruth falls immediately before Samuel. And immediately before Ruth, you've got the book of Judges. And these three books are all interconnected, especially at the beginning of Samuel and the end of Judges. And it was a dark time in in the history of Israel. We might say that Samuel was born into a period of transition. Israel as a nation was going to move from the, the time of the Judges right through into the time of the Kings. And the days of the judges was a period of transition from the patriarchs and the days of Moses. You've got the days of the judges. And then that was going to usher in the time of David and Solomon. And really it was a positive time of transition. And instrumental to it all was the life and ministry of young Samuel. His nation was passing through a time of transition. And with the birth of Samuel, it was going to be a positive transition whereby David would be raised up and then Solomon. And it would be a golden age in the nation of Israel, a period of positive transition. The nation was going through changes. And is our nation tonight not going through a time of tremendous change? I'm not sure that it's a positive transition. We are passing from a time of Christianity and evangelical Protestantism in Northern Ireland into a time of secularism. I think we've passed through perhaps the ecumenical period and now we're passing into a time of secularism and a time of humanism, a time whenever the tide is going out. It's a time of transition. And that's why we need men like Samuel who will stand for God and unashamedly proclaim God's Word, and be lights in a dark world. It was a day of transition. It was also a day of testing into which Samuel was born. Back there in the book of Judges, we have one of the key themes in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2 and verse number 22. God is allowing some of the nations to remain in the land. And He says that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered He them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. God is going to test the people of Israel In the time of the Judges, and you've got the Canaanites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Philistines, and God is saying, I'm going to allow some of these nations to remain for a season in the land, to prove or test the hearts of my people Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, or whether dwelling among these other nations, they will go the way of the world. It was a time of testing is our nation tonight under a time of testing has god allowed things to come into our land to test the hearts of his people and i wonder tonight about your life and mine is god testing us is god proving us as to whether or not we will keep the ways of the lord and with the rise of secularism and humanism and atheism and agnosticism in our nation is God testing the hearts of His people. Whether we will honor Him and keep His ways and keep His laws and His precepts and His commandments or we will go the way of the world. It was a time of transition. It was a time of testing. It was also a time of turmoil. After the death of Joshua, Israel began to rebel against the Lord, And one of the key verses in the book of Judges is Judges chapter 21 and verse number 25, the very last book, verse in the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was a day of anarchy, morally, socially, politically, and spiritually. There was no king in Israel. Israel was supposed to be a theocracy. God was supposed to be their king. But God had been dethroned, and it was now a day of of anarchy in virtually every level. And I believe we're living in days of moral and spiritual chaos in our nation where every man is encouraged to just do that which is right in your eyes. Don't think about the law of God, don't think about the ways of the Lord. Don't think about the king of heaven and the king of glory. Just do what you feel is right. And of course, they were days of turmoil. And then lastly, not only were there days of transition and days of testing and days of turmoil, but days of trouble. As soon as Israel began to get away from the Lord, the enemies of God began to rise up against them and afflict them. And that's the book of Judges in a nutshell. Peaks and troughs. Times of departure from God. Then a season of affliction. Then a a prayer of repentance. A season of deliverance. A time of peace and prosperity. And then a time of departure and affliction. And so it rises and falls. You see, the Word of God says that righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And we are living in days of trouble. And the Word of God predicts a day of great trouble at the end of the age before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Matthew's Gospel 24, 21, For then shall there be the great tribulation. And there are coming days of trouble in this world of ours. And I wonder who will stand for Jesus Christ in this community and even perhaps in this church. The parents to which He was born, the period into which he was born. But there's something greater than that. There's also the purpose for which he was born. God had a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose for Samuel's life. And that purpose, first and foremost, was that Samuel would come to know the Lord. And our text tonight says in 1 Samuel 3, verse number 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. But that was God's great purpose in Samuel's life, that this young boy would come some night in his life to know the God of Israel and to know the God of heaven intimately as Savior, Lord, Master, And friend, I wonder tonight, do you know the Lord? It says in verse number one of chapter three, Samuel ministered unto the Lord. And it's amazing that while he was doing that as a little boy, he didn't know the Lord intimately. He didn't know the Lord personally. You know, it's possible to come to church. It's possible to sing the hymns. It's possible to say prayers from time to time. It's possible to be involved in some way in the day-to-day running of the church. But it's a different thing entirely to know the Lord personally. Do you know the Lord this evening? Jesus Christ, before going to the cross, prayed in John 17. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's God's great purpose in salvation. That men and women might not only be forgiven and cleansed and made right for heaven and home, but come to know the Lord personally. And there's a great peril if you don't know the Lord. The Bible speaks about a day whenever the Savior will come back again and will execute judgment upon all them that obey not the gospel and all them that know not the Lord. Do you remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Lord Jesus said, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, we have cast out devils in your name, and in your name done many wonderful works. They boast we ministered unto the Lord. But the Lord will say unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And really, you never knew me either. Do you know the Lord tonight? This was God's great purpose in Samuel's life, that he would come to know the Lord. And from there, he would begin to serve the Lord. Many people seem to forget this and fail to realize that whenever a person is saved, converted, born again of the Spirit of God. God saves that individual with a view to service in some shape or form, saved and set free in order to serve. Are you serving the Lord tonight? Are you praying tonight? Are you witnessing for the Lord daily in your life? Are you involved in some aspect of God's work? It mightn't be to the fore, it mightn't be standing upon a platform. It mightn't be standing before a crowd or a congregation or group of young people. It mightn't even be giving out gospel tracts. It might be serving the Lord in your home. It might be being a witness for the Lord in your workplace. It might be the ministry of prayer. It might be some small involvement or it might be just living a godly life. But at any rate, every single one of us, we're all safe to serve. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, young Samuel was singled out for service in a very remarkable and unique way. Samuel was going to be a judge in Israel. I believe he was going to be the very last judge in Israel. It says in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13 and verse number 20, after that he gave on to them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Samuel would judge Israel, but he would be the last judge in Israel. And under Samuel, Israel would pass through a time of relative peace and blessing and prosperity. Samuel, yes, would be a judge, but Samuel would also be a priest in Israel. First Samuel. Chapter 3, 1 says he ministered unto the Lord, and that is but a foreshadowing of a ministry he would perform whenever he came to years and came to faith. And we read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 9. Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and God heard him. And those are the two roles of a priest. To offer sacrifice and also to pray and to make intercession. And Samuel is now offering sacrifice. And Samuel is praying for the children of Israel. And that's the great ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. He was our great high priest, the last of the priests. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever upon the cross. And he ever lives to make intercession for us and he has made us kings and priests unto God. Every child of God has the same right of access to the throne of God as Samuel had or the apostle Paul had through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can approach boldly the throne of grace and pray for those around us. Samuel was going to serve God as a judge. Samuel was going to serve God as a priest. Samuel was also going to serve God as a prophet. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 24 records it. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold these days. Samuel was a judge. He was the last of the judges. Samuel was a priest. Samuel also was the first of a great line of prophets in Israel. And what is a prophet? In a biblical sense, it's someone who makes known the mind of the Lord to a people. And God is raising up Samuel to be a great preacher of the Word of God. Maybe you're in the meeting tonight, and if you were to get converted, and you're maybe a young person tonight, and you haven't really given your life to the Lord, and if God was to save you, He could make you a man of prayer. He could make you a great spiritual leader. He could make you a great preacher. R.A. Torrey was one of America's great evangelists. He followed in the footsteps of D.L. Moody. He preached to hundreds of thousands of people across America, in Australia, across Britain, and also here in Ulster, in St. George's Market. He preached to tens of thousands of people here, In Ulster, I think it was Ernie Allen's mother, Ernie Allen, the founder of Every Home Crusade, his mother was converted in that great mission in St. George's Market. R.A. Torrey, as a young man, knew the gospel. He knew the claims of God in the life of a Christian. He was gifted with a great intellect. He was studying law, but he suffered terribly with shyness. He couldn't speak to people. And he felt that if I was to get saved, God might call me to be a preacher. And that's why I'm not giving my life to Jesus Christ, because God would ask me to tell others. And I don't have that ability or that confidence to tell others. And for a long time, he wouldn't respond to the gospel call, because he was afraid that God would call him to preach. And whenever he was converted, that is exactly what God called him to do. And in spite of himself, in spite of his natural shyness and bashfulness, the Spirit of God anointed him mightily to be a preacher of the Word of God. You see, maybe tonight you're holding back and you're saying, I'm not coming to Christ because I couldn't live the Christian life. I couldn't witness, I couldn't pray, I couldn't give up a particular sin or get victory over a certain habit. God will give you the ability under His Spirit to do the things that you thought you could never do. All He asks you to do is trust Him, and He will do the rest. The parents to which Samuel was born, the period into which he was born, the purpose for which he was born. Notice one thing, and we're finished in a few minutes. The process by which Samuel was born again. One thing to be born it's another thing entirely to be born again. Now, some people have the idea that the new birth is something that is found only in the New Testament Scriptures. And the new birth is certainly found there in John chapter 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again but the Old Testament speaks in explicit terms about what it means to be born again as well. You only have to look up the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, and God says concerning the children of Israel, a new heart will I give them, and a new spirit will I put within them, and I will cause them to walk in my statutes, and they shall keep my judgments and do them. And it's speaking about the new birth. Samuel, I believe, in 1 Samuel 3, came to be born again of the Spirit of God. How did it happen? I think there were things that led to Samuel's conversion. The first thing that I want you to consider very simply and briefly is that Samuel was exposed to false religion. That's an amazing thing. Samuel was exposed to false religion. There was still religion in the nation of Israel. And externally, much of it was orthodox. But the whole spirit of it had fallen flat in its face. And like the days of the Pharisees that the Lord found himself in, there was a people that drew nigh to God with their lips. But their hearts were far from Him. And Ulster is riddled with that type of religion tonight. Externals. Keeping up appearances but hearts that are far away from the Lord. Eli, the priest in Israel, his eyes grew dim by reason of years. And not only his physical eyesight, but his spiritual eyesight he began to turn a blind eye to the sins of Israel and the sins of his own two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And you can read in great detail at the second part of 1 Samuel chapter 2 about the sins that they were involved in, temple prostitution, Fornication, adultery, gluttony, blasphemy, and a host of other sins. And Samuel was exposed to false religion. And I believe in Eunice's heart that is not real, that is not reality. And maybe that's your problem tonight. You've seen so much of false religion that you've been put off coming to Jesus Christ. Samuel was exposed to false religion. But Samuel was also experienced with blood redemption. In spite of Eli's shortcomings, and in spite of the sins of Hophni and Phineas, he still saw sacrifices being altered day and day And that was a reminder of the need for blood atonement. And I think it's an incredible thing that even in these days of false religion, Whenever people will sit at communion services and they have maybe never responded to the gospel and they maybe have never heard the gospel and they maybe haven't listened to the word of God, every time they break bread and every time they partake of that cup, they're being reminded of the cross, reminded of a body that was broken reminded of blood that was shed for many for the remission of sins and being reminded of blood atonement. There are many pulpits from which the blood is never preached. But God has seen to it that as often as ye partake of this bread and as often as ye drink this cup, you're showing forth the gospel of blood atonement. You're showing forth the Lord's death till he come. And Samuel was experienced with the necessity of blood atonement. I want to ask you tonight, are you washed in the blood? Are you familiar with the blood of the everlasting covenant? But are you under that blood tonight? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Samuel was exposed to false religion. Samuel was experienced with blood redemption. But furthermore, Samuel was enlightened with divine revelation. In verse number 4 of 1 Samuel 3, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here am I. His conversion was a result of the call of God in his life, the speaking voice of God, God's Word coming to him. That's why the Bible says, The law of God or the Word of God is perfect, converting the soul god began to speak to samuel god began to reveal himself to samuel and it was the word of god that was affecting samuel's life and then he was also encouraged by gracious repetition samuel initially did not recognize the voice of the lord god is speaking but he does not recognize the voice of god in his life. And can't we be like that oftentimes as well? Maybe God has been speaking to you. Maybe you're a backslider and God has been speaking and you've shrugged it off. You've said, well, that's the voice of Eli. That's the voice of a pastor or or an evangelist or a parent or somebody else. Maybe God has been speaking to you through circumstances, Maybe God has taken away something of His presence and peace out of your heart and life and you're unsettled and you're miserable and you're unhappy. And again and again, God is speaking. Samuel attributed it all to Eli. But really it was the voice of Almighty God. God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. Are you conscious of the speaking voice of God in your life tonight? Jesus Christ said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Samuel, exposed to false religion, experienced with blood redemption, enlightened by divine revelation, encouraged by gracious repetition, at last evidences spiritual regeneration. Verse 10, it says, The Lord came and stood... And there's a theophany. God coming to Samuel and revealing himself and calling us at other times, Samuel, Samuel, repeats his name twice. Yes, Samuel, it's you that I'm speaking to. And it's my voice that you're hearing, not the voice of Eli or anybody else. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. There was a response. Samuel is responding to the call of God in his life. His heart's been opened. And he responds like Lydia. The Bible says the Lord opened Lydia's heart in Acts 16. So she she attended unto the things that were spoken. And Samuel entered into a life of new obedience. And the very thing that God had called him to do, God immediately says, Now Samuel, I want you to speak to Eli about his sons. And the very first thing the next morning, Samuel enters into a life of new obedience. And that's true conversion. I believe that God's salvation leads to a life of obedience. The old Westminster Divines asked the question, what is repentance unto life? And they answered it with the words, repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose off and endeavor after new obedience." Whenever God saves a man or a woman or a young person, he saves them from their sins and brings them into a life of new obedience. Remember, I will put my law in their hearts, I will put a new spirit within them, and I will cause them to walk in my statutes and keep my precepts. I wonder tonight, can I ask you in closing, how about you? What about you tonight? Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord revealed unto him. Do you know the Lord tonight? Do you know Jesus Christ? Can you say, I know him, and he knows me? Paul the Apostle said, I know whom I have believed. He didn't say, I know what I have believed. He says, I know the one whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Will you make that response in your life tonight? Lord, speak. I'm your servant. Lord, I want to walk with you and follow you and serve you all the days of my life. I'm giving you my life now. Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Make my flesh life melt away. Make me like a precious stone, crystal clear, finely honed, life of Jesus shining through. Take me deeper into you. Will you give your life to God tonight? D.L. Moody used to say to young people in different meetings, give your life to God. He can do more with it than you ever could. I trust that you'll hear his voice, that you'll respond and come to the cross.